We took last Sunday off just to be safe, coming out of our COVID quarantine, so it's really good to be back and and uh, enjoying uh, uh, in-person in-person worship. We did uh, enjoy the the live stream and watch that with all the other folks who are out there watching online, and so that was great as well. Um, so we, we got to hear Mac's uh, message, and that was awesome. So, But it's good to be back. It certainly is good to be back and see all our friends and family here. We're in Luke. We're, st- we're here in, in Luke, right? Uh, Luke chapter 5 today. And before we get into the message, let's go ahead and read the scripture together. It's going to be Luke chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen, 33 through 39. And how about we, uh, we stand together for the reading of the Lord? All right, join with me. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them Then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, it will spill, and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants new, because he says the old is better. All right, that's our passage for today. You may be seated. That's our passage for today. Jesus, Jesus is still at the party that we visited two weeks ago. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, we, we saw the call of Levi, the tax collector, and Jesus meets him on the street at his tax booth and at his place of work and just, hey, follow me. And immediately, Levi, what does he do? He gets up and he brings Jesus to his house and he throws this huge party, this big old banquet. And who, who's at the banquet? Who's at the banquet? The tax collectors. And who are tax collectors in that time, in that day and age? And if there are any tax collectors here, I'm not going to project that upon us today in our culture, but in that time, in that day, in the nation of Israel, in the first century, the tax collectors were counted among the who? The sinners, the scum. Miss Plumley points it out rather well there. Yes, they, they were not looked upon favorably. But here Jesus is sitting at the table with the tax collectors, the sinners, and what do the religious leaders who have started following to listen to Jesus a little bit, what do the religious leaders say to him? Why in the world, why in the world would you go and dine with those people? And I imagine they're not just uh, it says they're, they're talking to themselves, but I imagine there's also some you know, real finger-pointing going on at that point in time. Why, Jesus, in the, why in the world? You can come to our place. You know, we'll throw a banquet for you. We'll get all the right people to sit around the table, and we'll have a great discussion about what it means to follow the kingdom of God, follow God, follow all His rules, and we can talk about that all day long. Jesus, why in the world would you be sitting with the sinners. And Jesus has a great response because he came for the lost. He came for the sinners. He came for people like me and like you. And that is good news. And so this is where we still find Jesus sitting at that banquet. And we have the Pharisees looking in from the outside, and they're going to ask some more questions. They've got more questions for Jesus. They're going to pull a whataboutism. Anybody hear about whataboutism, that term? Anybody know what that term is? This is, this is, what, this is what the Pharisees are pulling on Jesus. Now, questions, I want, to, I want to start out with saying questions are not bad. All right, The fact that the Pharisees are coming with questions is not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus welcomes questions. Jesus welcomes our doubts. Jesus welcomes us to come to him with that, asking 
for his wisdom and his direction and his guidance. Jesus is not about pushing people off who have questions. If you have questions here today, man, this is the spot for you, all right? This is the spot for you because Jesus wants to walk with you in your questions and even in our doubts. So questions are not bad. In fact, I think a church that doesn't allow questions is not moving in the right direction, right? And so we want to be a people who are inquiring, but it comes down to the heart. What are the heart of these Pharisees? They're just here to pick and to prod and to go against what Jesus is doing because it's different for them. And so they pull this whataboutism. Whataboutism is a technique or practice of responding uh, to a difficult question or, or a conversation by making a counter-accusation or raising a totally different issue. And maybe you've seen this, or maybe you've been a part of this. You're in a conversation, you're talking about something with somebody, you, you're trying to put your point across, they're trying to put their point, and all of a sudden a zinger comes in from nowhere, and they try to trap you, they try to just sideline you with a, a totally different thought to try to cut you down. All right, that's, that's a whataboutism. Uh, and so maybe you've experienced that. It's usually done so that the person pulling it looks more righteous. All right, they're, they're just trying to find a way to shut down the dialogue because they, they, they need to be right. And these Pharisees sit in that position. They feel like we have to be right about this. And Jesus has just told the leaders what his plan is. Man, I'm, I'm coming for the sinners. I'm coming to hang out and rescue the sinners, those who are lost, those, those who feel forgotten and on the outside. That's who I've come to save. And the reality is, the reality is, every single person, every single one of us was on the outside and a sinner. No matter how good we look on the outside or the inside, whatever, we were all sinners. We were all sinners, and Jesus has come for us, and the Pharisees don't understand this. They don't understand this. And so they come back with a whataboutism, and they, they say, okay, well, what about fasting? Jesus, you told us our plan, but what about fasting? You see the quick switch in this conversation where they're trying to, to pull something on Jesus, trying to trap him. This is the beginning of their traps. This is what they're going to do with Jesus, continually try to trap him and put him into a position where he says something wrong, and they can come back and go, oh, see, we were right. We were right. She didn't follow this guy. And so this is where we are today, talking about fasting. In Luke 5, 33, the beginning of this passage says, Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. What about it, Jesus? What about it? What does that mean? Basically, they're saying, all of the righteous people do this. What about you guys? Why don't... You guys, only the righteous can call the sinners to repentance. So what about that? You're not even doing the things that you need to do to show your righteousness to the people around you. What about that? And they're trying to redirect Jesus down the path of righteousness that they have created, that they have set up. They, they want him to get his acts together. They're always going to want Jesus to get his act together. And his act together means following their rules, and their acting. You know, it's like, how can we take you seriously, Jesus, if you don't even do the things that we who are righteous do? How can we take you seriously as a religious leader and teaching? So today we're going to talk about fasting a little bit. We'll take a little bit of a different route with fasting. If you want to know about fasting, there are plenty of resources out there. This one's fantastic. I highly recommend it, reading Richard Foster and his, his, his disciplines, book on disciplines, and fasting is in there, and the ins and outs, and the history, and what it means, and how we can practice it. And so there are some great materials out there, and so I'll leave that up just for a second uh, so you can see that. But what is fasting? A little, little question and answer time here. What, what is fasting? Denying yourself. Not eating certain foods. Not eating certain foods. 
Mm -hmm. Certain times, certain foods. Mm -hmm. Okay. Time of reflection and prayer also. Time of reflection and prayer. Changing old ways means getting rid of something. Getting rid of something. Okay. Cleansing yourself. Cleansing yourself. Cleansing yourself. So you see in this room, with all of us here, we've started down the track of naming a lot of different things when it comes to fasting, some different purposes and some different ways to practice it maybe. Uh, and, and this has actually been something that the church has wrestled with through the centuries, what is fasting? What's the best way to do it? And you have people popping up through the centuries in the church say, well, this is what it means. This is what you do. This is what, how you practice it. And uh, it can take on many different forms. It really is a, a practice of denial, usually for a very short and set amount of time. So you may, you may there are medical fasts. You can do a medical fast if you're, you're, you're uh, going to do a medical procedure or something like that, and you have to fast for a couple days to, to get your body right. Maybe for a health fast, a medical health fast, you need to kind of cleanse yourself from some stuff, the junk food that we've been eating, and we've been in COVID for lockdown for two years and eating lots of junk food, right? And it's like, hey, we need to fast and kind of cleanse ourselves of that, get back on the right track. Um, you can fast from, uh, speaking of covid quarantines, we've all been binging things like Netflix or things like that, you know, so fast, okay, I'm taking a whole week, we're not turning it on at all because that's like all we've been doing, you know, and there's, so there are ways to kind of put aside, set aside areas of our life. It's traditionally through food, the fasting has been traditionally through food, but there are a lot of different things that we can fast from uh, to, to stop, slow down, and reflect and hopefully then kind of put ourselves in a position where it's quieter, we're not as distracted, and we're, we're actually hearing from the Lord. For the Pharisees, fasting was one of the key elements that defined who they were, all right? And so um, they, they, had, they, they point to themselves in this passage. This is the Pharisees asking the question and, and talking to Jesus. They point to themselves, hey, we're doing it. Our disciples are doing it. They also point to Jesus' family, right? His cousin, John the Baptist, your cousin, all his disciples, they're fasting and praying as well. So what's up with that, Jesus? Why are you not following uh, this, this train with us? Why are you not on this train with us? And they, they, they also point to the system that they've built up for themselves, and they, they've crafted it. They've specifically crafted it for themselves. Fasting uh, was one of the three pillars of Jewish piety. All right, if you think about the, the Jewish faith, it was considered one of the three pillars of Jewish piety. Uh, we see almsgiving, giving to the poor. We see prayer, and we see fasting in particular were the three pillars, it was said, of the Jewish faith. Jesus addresses these things in Matthew 6 on his Sermon on the Mount, right? And he talks about each one of those, addressing each one of those things. Uh, the, the, uh, the nation of Israel was commanded to fast way back at the, the start of their, the nation, back in uh, Leviticus in the law, uh, they were commanded to fast for the Day of Atonement. When the nation would come together and, man, they would send that, that goat out into the wilderness and all the sins were going with it, all the sins of the nation were going with that. Well, part of that was a fast leading up to that. And Leviticus 16 says this, this is to be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to practice self-denial, which is the fast, and do no work, both the native and alien who resides among you. And so this was built in, this was a law given by God for them to follow up to, coming up to the Day of Atonement. Throughout scriptures, we see other fasts as well, and God actually calls an emergency fast for the nation of Israel, and it's, we're, we're reminded of this in Joel, Joel chapter 2. It says, even now, this is the Lord's declaration, turn to me with all your heart, okay, turn back to me. And what's this going to include? With fasting, weeping, and mourning, turning back from your sins, and God said, hey, part of this is you're going to do a fast for this because going to turn your attention back to me, all right? And so uh, the, the practice of fasting in the Old Testament time uh, was, was built into their system. But what happens is 
as you've got this system, the religious leaders start putting more and more rules and regulations and laws, and we keep going over this with them, uh, on the people and what it means to fast. By the New Testament, by the time we see Jesus, fasting had, been, had become a burden with so many different rules and regulations to follow. Uh, the most pious, if you wanted to be pious and be seen by the crowds and how, how religious and how, how strict you followed God, how strictly you followed God, you would fast both on a Monday and a Thursday. Imagine every single week, every single week, not just one time during the year or when there was a national fast, maybe a national fast was called. Monday and Thursday, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Think about Monday and Thursday every single week and you are not going to eat a thing, not going to drink a thing every single week. This started because it was, they thought that uh, those were the days that Moses went up on a Monday to Mount Sinai to get the law and came down on a Thursday uh, with the law. And uh, so they said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fast every Monday and Thursday. And if you're really religious, if you're really wanting to follow God, then you're going to do this as well, right? Because you can kind of see the burdens that were going to be put on the people. And Jesus, again, he's going to address this in Matthew chapter 6 when he talks about fasting. The Pharisees became so involved in their religious activities that, man, they were sucking the joy out of people's lives. You follow these traditions, it's like, man, where is the joy in following this creator God with all these rules and regulations and traditions that you're asking us to do, leaders? They had sucked the joy out of life. They had based their relationship with God on performance instead of just seeking out the relationship with God in a position with God. And they were sucking the life and the joy out for, for everyone else as well. And they're saying, this is the way we live. You have to follow these practices as well. Ever, 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 uh, ever have anybody say that to you? Hey, this is, this is the right way to do this. If, if you really want to get close to God, this is, this is the right way to do it. All right. Well, that's kind of the heart of the Pharisee. Kind of the heart. Of, and fasting is not a bad practice. We're not here to say that fasting is not beneficial. This is not the point of the message. But Jesus has a different view on its purpose and um, its, its place. And so for these guys, the religious leaders, for them, religion was not about joy. Almost Joy almost gets in the way of their holiness. If we're, if we're, if we're joyful, if we're happy at all, man, oh my gosh, we must be doing something wrong uh, because it's, it gets in the way of our holiness. And so they were into uh, severe treatments of the body and, and avoiding pleasure, uh, which they would hope would lead to their holiness. Paul speaks against this in, in Colossians, Colossians 2. If you died with Christ to the elements of the world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. See, that's key. Human commands and doctrines, and this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were, they were putting in human commands above and, and adding to God's law. All of these have a reputation for wisdom, for, mo- for promoting self-made religion. This is what the Pharisees are doing, promoting themselves. It's false humility, severe treatment of the body, such as the way they would require a fast. They are not of any value in curbing self, self-indulgence. This does nothing for you. This, this is not accomplishing anything for you, all right? And Jesus is actually going to call out and say, you're, you're doing this for your own gain, Pharisees. You look at Matthew chapter 6 and when he talks about fasting, you're doing this for your own gain. You're doing it so that peop- people notice you, all right? It's not, not about getting closer to God. It's about having people notice you, and, and this is what you're looking for, the praise and your own adoration and, 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 and self-promotion. But they come here to this meal, to this, this banquet, and, and say, well, our disciples fast and so do John's. Why don't yours? In fact, it's not that they, they abstain and deny themselves during certain times of week. You guys actually feast. You guys actually feast. This is, this is what they say here. Yours eat and drink. 
you, you, go to, you go to the parties and it looks like you have fun, <laughs> right? We, we go to the parties and, and to, to say, well, sit at the table and say, well, I really can't have any of that today because I'm fasting. Thank you for inviting me to this table. It looks like a wonderful spread, and I'm sure you put a lot of time and effort into this meal, but, you know, me and God, it's, it's our day, and, and so I'm going to have to deny and push this off, you know, and, and thanks for, for having me here. And says, no, you guys, you guys feast Jesus. You guys go to the party and have a good time. What's that all about? Interesting thing is Jesus doesn't command his disciples not to fast. We, we don't see anything in the scriptures where Jesus says, you guys don't ever do it, all right? Because the religious leaders do it. You guys don't. We don't see this. We don't see this in the scriptures. He, he does talk about these, these pillars of Jewish piety, uh, almsgiving, prayer, fasting, in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Got that? I think we can pull that up there. Matthew 6. This is what Jesus says. Whenever you fast, so he's saying, hey, my disciples, you're you're going to fast. At some point in time, you will probably go through a fast. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. The hypocrites are who? The Pharisees. Don't be, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. This is what the Pharisees do, Jesus says here in Matthew 6. They make their faces unattractive. I don't think that was very hard for them to do, uh, so that their fasting is obvious to people. You know, when someone doesn't have any joy in life, it's pretty obvious right? And, and these guys were not known for joy. They, ma- they make their fasting obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, okay, so Jesus talking to his disciples, when you fast, put oil on, put oil on your head, wash your face. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I get up in the morning and I take a shower. That's nice. Jesus, th- th- this was a sign of joy for them. They would, they would sprinkle oil on someone. This was a celebration, all right, wash up, clean yourself up. This, this was a sign that you were celebrating something. And Jesus says, you go out there, and if you're going to fast, you're going to do this as a, a celebration, celebration of your relationship so that your fasting isn't obvious to others but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's benefit to fasting. Fasting can be a very, very good thing. But what he says these religious leaders are doing, what are they doing? It's all about the crowd. So I could stand up here today and say, as, as a leader, I'm standing up, yeah, man, I'm fasting this week, and I can look gloomy and down. I, I should have come in with just disheveled and, you know, just dirty clothes and all that kind of stuff and no shower and said, oh, you know, I spent all week fasting, guys. I haven't had time to do anything else. In fact, my message, I haven't had time to prepare it. I'm just kind of going off it because I've heard from the Lord now and I've just spent so much time in my, in my, uh, on the streets fasting. And, G- and Jesus says, don't do that. When you fast, man, make it look like you're going to a party. Make it look like you're actually enjoying life, all right, and your relationship to God. And Jesus, what he's doing here is he's, a, he's acknowledging their fasting and the practice of fasting. He's not saying this is a bad thing, but he puts it into proper perspective and practice. For the Pharisees, they were, they were wearing their, their, their suffering uh, on their sleeves, on their faces. You knew, you knew when they were going through a fast, because they would walk through the streets and gloomy and down, and oh, it's, you know, it's a heavy burden, but someone's got to do it, and if this nation wants to get it back on track, then we got to do it, kind of thing. Jesus' followers are not to seek that kind of self glory. They're to seek the glory that comes from the Lord. In fact, the Pharisees, they received their reward, their immediate reward. Jesus says they got a reward. Their fasting gave them a reward, the, the acknowledgement of the people. So on a Monday, they fast, and oh, bless you, bless you, leader. Thank you. Thank, thank you for praying and fasting for our nation today. And that's it. That's it. It's fleeting, and what, they had to do it again to get the praise again, and they had to do it again to get the praise again. And Jesus says, guess what? Guess who's watching? Guess who knows the heart? Our Father, our God. He's keeping track. He sees. He knows what you're doing, and he'll give you a reward. And guess what? Praise, that's fleeting, right? You get a pat on the back, that feeling goes away. The feelings go away after a while. And if you're seeking the pats on the back, Man, you got to keep doing this and keeping up the routine and, and this, this, this public appearance. 
Jesus says, God, our Father, has that eternal reward. You see the difference here. Pharisees, public. Jesus saying this is, this is private, all right? D- differentiating between the, the ways of doing this. The, the Pharisees, they're projecting pain. And Jesus says, man, we're projecting joy. We're living in joy. You know, the, the Pharisees are, are seeking self, self. And Jesus says, man, we're, we're seeking God. We're seeking our Father, our Father, God. And Jesus is going to go into a couple of different stories here in this passage of Scripture to, to answer the, the question about fasting. He's going to talk about joy. He's going to talk about joy, the aspect of joy. So let's, let's take just a second to talk about the difference between joy and happiness. All right, I was looking it up, and, and, and happiness is often caused by, by our earthly experiences, mat- material things. We, we get happy when we buy something. Anybody go out and buy something? You buy a new car or, or even a used car that's new to you, or you buy a new TV, or you buy something, that's something big that you've been wanting for a while, and, and man, I'm happy. Man, this, this, is, this is bringing such happiness. Well, what happens a week later? The, the new car smell is gone, right? Or, or, you know, or you realize, well, this TV, they make bigger sizes, you know, and man, I can't wait for, I can save up more money and, and buy the next size up, whatever. We, our happiness is fleeting. It, it leaves us. It, it, it won't sustain us. Joy, on the other hand, uh, is, caused, is caused by gratitude and thankfulness thankfulness. Happiness is kind of an outward expression of elation. Joy is an inward peace and contentment. Happiness, again, is is temporary. It's temporary based on outward circumstances, things that are happening to us. Joy is lasting. It's based on inward circumstances. This is why Paul says that, you know, actually believers in Jesus can rejoice in everything. We can rejoice in every single situation we can rejoice in everything. You, you think about, okay, so if, you, if you're married here, uh, you're probably pretty happy uh, at your wedding, all right? There's happiness to be had at a wedding, to feel happy to be at the wedding. But joy is 10 years of marriage, 20 years of marriage, 30 years of marriage, even with the arguments and the disagreements and the spilled milk by the kids and having to pay for college tuition and all of that because you know, there's joy in the position of marriage and not just happiness that comes from those fleeting moments that, that happen in life. If, if, you're, if you're single, you may, you may find happiness. And, you know, I met someone on a dating app and we had a great time and that brought happiness. But, but Jesus says there, there actually could be joy in your position of actually being single, single married, they're, they're both sacred callings. It's how, how do we see it? How do, we, do we rely on the happiness of the moment to sustain us? You've got to keep performing and doing more and more and more to grab onto that. Joy is positional. Happiness is more about the practice. The Pharisees were happy when people noticed them on the streets and they're fasting. They, they, they received some happiness out of that. Joy is about the position Joy is about our position and not practice. And Jesus says, hey, there's something that's, that's happening. There's something happening right here, right now, that should bring joy to someone's life, that will bring joy to, to your life. And he goes into a story in verse 34. Jesus said to them, you can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? He said, he said we're at a party. Let's talk about a party. Weddings were a big deal in the verse, and they're still a big deal, right? They're still a big deal. But he says, let's talk about a wedding. When you go to a wedding, do you go to a wedding to fast and just kind of sit gloomy on the side? No, 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 no. This is, this is a party, and a Jewish wedding had three basic phases. We, we've got, I was looking, I was like, well, we've got three basic phases too, you know? We've engagement, and then planning, and then the ceremony. All right, that's, that's kind of our three basic phases of a, of a wedding. The Jewish weddings, first, the first phase was a contract where the parents of the bride and the groom would agree that the children would marry, and a bride price was given, a dowry was, was given uh, to the father of the, the bride, and that was the first phase. 
Uh, the second phase was the one where the groom goes and prepares a place for himself and his bride in his father's house. Okay, this, this was the goal. This is where we're going to live. And so the second phase was the groom going back and preparing a place. I think Jesus uses those words for another illustration somewhere in Scripture as well. The bride goes back, or excuse me, the groom goes back and prepares a place for himself and his bride in his father's house. This is an indefinite amount of time. This is an indefinite period of time. And the bride would watch for the groom's return, and she would ready herself for that day. And so when everything was prepared, the bride's father would then give permission for the groom to come and, and get his daughter for the ceremony. And the last, the third phase was the ceremony. And it was a seven-day period of music and food, dancing and, and, and drink. It was a celebration, a celebration Then that would end and the, the husband and wife would then go start their life together. And Jesus is talking about this ceremony phase. The ceremony phase is what he's pulling out of this wedding when he talks about fasting. It's a time of celebration. The, the, the groom and the bride are coming together after the contract phase, after, after waiting and all the preparation and then giving permission that they can, they can come together and have the ceremony. This is what Jesus is talking about. And, and he's, Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. And Jesus says that he's gathered his, his disciples together, and now is the time for rejoicing. Jesus has gathered his disciples together, and now is the time for rejoicing. Go to, go, you go to a wedding, you're going to sit on the side and look gloomy and miserable and not eat any of the wedding cake or the catered food or, or any of that? No, no, no. That's not what you do. That's not what you do. Because the groom and the bride are coming together. It's a celebration, and this is what this time is like. And Jesus is coming in, and he's celebrating, and we're celebrating a, a new covenant, a new covenant as his bride. And he's going to say that our joy, our joy is determined by our position and not our practice. Our joy is determined by our position and not our practice. The disciples are sitting at the table with their Savior. They're, they're around the table together. Jesus at the table. The disciples are sitting at the table. If you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, where is our position? In the heavenlies with Christ. We may be walking on this earth, our, our flesh and bones, we're walking on this earth until Jesus comes back again or he calls us home. But our position, our practice is walking on this earth. And walking on this earth doesn't get us into relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus invites us into relationship. And our position, when we become disciples of him, followers of him, our position is what determines where our joy comes from not the practice. And so here are the disciples sitting around. Imagine yourself sitting at this table with Jesus because this is what you're doing. This is where we are positionally, sitting at the table with our Savior and joy, joy should be overflowing because of that, because of that position and not our practice. And Jesus doesn't say that his disciples won't fast. There's going to be a, a time when, when he is not with them. We see this in, in verse 35. He says, but the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Yeah. Jesus is taken away. He walks to the cross. He spends three days in the tomb. I can imagine the disciples during that time going through a fast. Lots of questions. Lots of seeking answers. Lots of, God, what's going on here? fasting. They were, they, were, they, were, they were holding up in secret rooms, wondering, questioning, asking questions about what's going on. That was a time of questioning for them. And so Jesus says that there will be a time when my disciples will fast. But right now, the groom is at the table with the bride. And just as a, a wedding this as a time of wedding. This is a time for celebration and joy. 
And here, all of us who've, who've decided to follow Jesus positionally are sitting at the table with Jesus. This is a time for joy. And he says, Jesus says, hey, we're about to start a new thing. A new era is about to begin. This is what we're introducing. This is what I've come to introduce. This is, this is we're, we're closing something down. We're closing something down. Something new is about to begin. And he says, I got another story about that. I've got another illustration about that in verse 36 through uh, 39. He says, and uh, he also told them a parable. He liked to tell parables. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on the old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but also the piece from the, uh, yeah, tear the new, but also the piece from the new garment will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. It will spill and the skins will be ruined. No, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new because he says the old is better. Now, this could be a little bit of a confusing story that he's pulling out here. We don't do a lot of, I don't know if we do a lot of patchwork anymore. We used to do a lot of patchwork. I don't know if we do a lot of patchwork anymore. We got Walmart right down the street, right? And he says, oh, man, I got a hole in my jeans. I got to go out and buy another pair of jeans. We don't, my, my mom used to patch my jeans, and I hated that. Sorry if you're listening, mom, but I hated that. You have those patches on the jeans. Uh, but we don't do a lot of patching of clothes, and we don't do a lot of fermenting of wine in wineskins, right? This is just not the way that, that we do it. But Jesus, during this time, he's, he's relating to his culture, the people who are around him. But imagine, if you will, Imagine if you will, you, you go to the mall or go to the store here in town, um, Walmart or TJ Maxx or something, and you come home with a new shirt. You come home with a brand new shirt. And what you decide to do with that shirt is you look at the shirt and then you realize, you know, I've got this really old shirt from college that I really, really like, but it's got this big hole in it, and I can't wear it anymore because it's got this big hole, and it's embarrassing to do that. So I'm going to take this brand new shirt, and I'm going to cut a piece of cloth out of that and try to patch it on to that raggedy old college shirt that I've just enjoyed so much. Does that work? No. No, no it doesn't. Not only does it not work, it's a, it's a fashion faux pas. I guess unless you're really young, younger generation, it doesn't work. What, what happens here is you got this old garment. It's already shrunk and fit. It's, it's, it's already done its thing. It's had its years of, of wear, and so it's really shrunk. And it's not going to shrink anymore, and you got this new cloth. It's not pre-shrunk. You get pre-shrunk cloth, uh, clothing, right? Uh, this, this new patch is not pre-shrunk. And so as it ages, as it's put onto this old thing that's, that's already shrunk and, and fitting, what does the new patch do? It, it's going to start shrinking and, and kind of going into its own. It's going to start tearing away the stitches that you've so finally done, you know, the sewing that you've done. It's going to start tearing that away, and it's going to ruin everything. It's going to ruin the old shirt even more, and it's going to ruin the new patch and you're taking a beautiful shirt that you just bought and you've cut a hole out of it, so it's ruined as well, right? You're, you're, you're going to ruin everything if these things don't match one another, if these things don't match one another. Same with the, the wine, the new wine in the old wine skins. The old wine skins, so think of a, a leather uh, b- bottle, all right? And it's had wine in it already. And the wine has fermented in there, in those wineskins. And over the years, it's fermented, and it's stretched the wineskins as far as they're going to go. All right? And the old wine is in there. It's contained. It's good. Tastes good. It's great. Uh, it, it's stretched as far as it's going to go. Well, you pour that out. You put brand new wine. You start to ferment brand new wine in that. What's going to happen? It needs to stretch more. But if the skins have stretched as far as they're going to go, what's going to happen? It's going to burst. It's going to break. The, the wine skins, the, the thing that houses the wine is going to uh, break and, and be ruined. And what's going to happen to the wine inside? It's going to be ruined as well because it's going to spill out everywhere. Jesus says this, this new era, we can't just take this new thing that's happening and patch it on to the old thing because it's going to ruin both of them. We've had the old covenant. We've had the law of God. You know, God has given us direction on how to be his people, what it looks like to be his nation, looking forward to the Messiah coming, 
All right, this, this is where this is going for the nation of Israel. But you're missing the Messiah coming, which ushers in the new thing. And if you try to put them together, it ruins both. The law was great. It set aside our people. I used the term, one commentary said, the law quarantined the nation of Israel from the outside world to, to help keep them holy and, and pure and following God until the time was right when the, the, the new, the, the Messiah would come. That was great. It was needed at that time. But now the new has come, and when you try to put these things together, all it's going to do is ruin both of them. All right? It's going to ruin both of, both of it. You can't have, you can't have um, a little bit of, of Jesus sprinkled into the law. It doesn't work. You can't try to follow all of these rules and then also see what Jesus is saying about this new era that's starting and, and think that's going to work. Or you can't, you can't have Jesus and then sprinkle in a little bit of legalism on the side because that's not what Jesus is about either. It, it ruins all of it. It ruins all of it. You've got to take Jesus for who Jesus is. The old wineskins, the old garment that he's talking about here, it represents the, the old worship of Israel, the old covenants. And so their questions about fasting came about because of how they viewed the old covenant, how they were living that old covenant. And a new covenant is about to begin with, with Christ walking to the cross, taking our place, giving us uh, a position and not just practice. Giving us a position in him and not just practice, trying to spin our wheels to be right with God. And the two don't mix. And the Pharisees are missing, they're missing the new that has stepped on the scene right before them. They're missing the new. So for the Pharisees, they saw the rituals of religion as a way for God and man to see how pious and how righteous they were. And Jesus is going to flip this around. He's going to flip it around. We don't have to beg. Fasting, the, the, the practice of fasting is not about begging God to please, 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 please do something. Because where's our position? With Christ. What has he given us? What has is, what is Christ given us now that he's ascended to the Father in heaven? What do he say? I'm, I'm sending you, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to, to seal you in your position. God, the Holy Spirit. And so we must abandon our righteousness so that we can see, receive the righteousness from another one, the perfect the perfect one, the perfect righteousness of Christ our Savior. He says, now is the time to celebrate. Now is the time to celebrate. What's interesting about fasting, as you look through the, the New Testament, that there are times when the early church fasted, but it really never became a command from Jesus to fast. Because he knew where our position was. It's secure in Christ. It's secure in Christ. And so fasting, again, is not a, a negative thing. And the, the church has wrestled with this throughout the, the centuries. What to do with fasting? What does it mean? Is it, is it for spiritual enlightenment? enlightenment? Is it for, for getting clear direction? Is it just for denial of, of pleasures for the, for the body? And all of these things have come into play over the years. It comes down to a heart issue. What, what is, as I was looking at fasting, spe specifically in the early church, one of the most interesting ways of fasting that I came across was fasting for others. Fasting for others. I, Isaiah 58, which is in the Old Testament, says this, Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free. This is all talking about fasting here. To set the oppressed free, to, to tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your home, to clothe the naked when you see him, not to ignore your own flesh and blood, your own family, your own relatives? Look at the words of that fast. Where is it directed? At other people sitting right 
around us. The, the, some of the, the first century and second century commentators, they kind of dove into this. Aristides said this about the church, if anyone among them came into want, so anybody here have need, okay? Anybody walk into the church and they had great need, while they themselves, while the church, the people in the church, they themselves have nothing to spare. So it's, so people walk in, there's people who come in great need to the church, and, but it's like, we, we don't have the resources right now to take care of that. What would they do? They have nothing to spare. The church had nothing to spare. This is what the church does. They fast for two or three days for him, the one who is in need. In this way, they can supply any poor man with the food he needs. Hermas in, in the second century says this about fasting and the practice of the church. I will teach you what is a full and acceptable fast to the Lord. Do no evil in your life. Serve the Lord with a pure heart, keep his commandments, walk in his precepts, let no evil desire arise in your heart. If you guard against these things, your fasting will be perfect. Having fulfilled what is written, in the day on which you fast, you will take, taste nothing but bread and water. So none of the fancy food, none of the fancy meals, just bread and water is what you're going to fast on. Why? Why, does he, why do we do this, he says? Then... Reckon up the price of the meals, so breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How much is it going to cost you to have those breakfast, lunch, and dinner during the day? Reckon up the price of the meals on that day that you intended to have eaten, and give that amount to a widow, an orphan, or some person in need. What purpose for a fast? What purpose for a fast? It might just be that when we fast for the good of others, we, we find ourselves coming close to God. Think about this. This is a hard word for our day and age and the culture that we live in. But listen to this. The gospel message is built on loss. Okay? The gospel message is built on loss. Not for loss's sake, but for gain. All right, ultimate gain. Loss of the, Jesus walking at the cross, total loss of his life. Total loss of his life. He walked to the cross. Why? Because the resurrection brings victory. He walked through loss to reach the victory. We think gifts of the church are all about loss of self for the benefit of others and edifying the church. Marriage. Marriage is really about submission and loss of self to serve someone else. Jesus, in Matthew 25, tells his disciples this is where they're going to meet him. In Matthew 25, familiar passage, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Where do we find Jesus? Where do we? What is he said? This is where you're going to find me. This is where you're going to find me, in the presence of the poor man. In the presence of the, the inmate, in the presence of those who are suffering, in the presence of someone who has no food, in the presence of a stranger, probably someone who has different views than you do, and you, you've never connected, and they're a stranger to you. This is where you find Christ, he says. It's in the sacrifice where we find Christ, because it's in the sacrifice at the cross is, is where we found Christ. And the, the fast that the religious, re, the religious leaders were putting on, was they were, they were begging and pleading for attention from God and from other people. And Jesus says, we have a new position. We have a new position, and it's not about practice. We have a new position together with God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. God is always with us. We are at the banquet table with Jesus in position. A new era has begun. So we can fast, and, and again, 
There's nothing wrong with the fast. If you want to take a fast, man, there's some great material out there on how, how to do it and different ways to practice fasting. But when it comes to checking off the right boxes, and this is what the Pharisees were concerned with, just checking off the right boxes, Jesus says, that ah, you missed it. We, we, miss, we miss that. We miss that. A new era has begun, and we're reminded again in Luke 4, we, we, we saw this a couple weeks ago, that Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A new era has begun if we are followers of Jesus, our position is with him at the banquet table. This is a time for joy, a time for rejoicing, time not to put on the gloomy faces and, oh my gosh, this religious stuff, it just gets me down and I, I do it because I have to. No, no, no. Jesus says there is rejoicing to be had because your position is with me and performance becomes a burden. Position brings joy. My yoke is easy, Jesus says. My burden is light. This, this, is, this is where we are as believers. And our position determines our joy, which then will determine our practice. When we are free to, to live in the position Christ has given us, then we will walk and practice the things of the Lord. But our joy comes from our position sitting at that banquet table, that wedding feast with Christ our Savior. This is where we are today. We're sitting here in these seats, our positions with Jesus at that grand banquet table. Pray with me. Lord God, I pray that our hearts would be full of joy and not a, not a fleeting happiness that, that comes and goes because of things that happen during and in our lives, Lord. Uh, that, that, that just, it, it doesn't sustain. And we always have to seek the next experience the next thing to bring more happiness. But Lord, you've said a new era has begun, a new covenant has come, is based on the work and the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And when we accept you as our Savior, this is where we sit, secure in our position as children of God. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that, we would realize that today, and that we would walk in that, and that our practice would follow after our position. And and we would recognize that just as you came to serve, we are called to serve as well. We come in Jesus' name. Amen.